Well, I just had a fantastic chat with Dr. Tamsin Lewis. She is literally one of the world's experts in long COVID. We took a deep dive into some of the symptoms and some of the current treatments that are out there. We also took another deep dive into low-dose naltroxin, also known as LDN. What are the benefits of it? I mean, I'm actually using it for my ADHD. And also, we lifted the lid on psychedelics, how they are being used for mental health. Enjoy this one. Hi, I'm Davinia Taylor and welcome to Hack Your Health, a podcast which can support a fast track to feeling your best, boosting your mood and uplifting your general outlook on life. My biohacking journey began over eight years ago, which led me to having a ridiculously inquiring mind, always asking questions and searching for the answers. For example, why do I sometimes lose focus and what makes me sign up to a marathon at 45? Or one of my first ever questions, what the hell makes me so allergic to alcohol that I can't ever drink again and how do I manage that? After all, what is addiction and how can it be tamed? Over the years, I've done tons of research and become my own N of one experiment, trying and testing some of the most out there and fringe hypotheses to find out what actually works for me. Me being an average middle-aged British woman with the usual ups and downs of 21st century living. And now I want to share with you what I've learned. I'll be joined by some of the best visionaries in the health and biohacking space, asking them to put forward their arguments and suggestions that could support your health and well-being. As with everything, there is never a one-size-fits-all approach, so I ask you, take these conversations as food for thought. The advice you hear should never be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses or treatment. But whatever you do, stay inquisitive. And as always, I love your feedback and your experience about what we talk about. Now let's go and hack your health. Our guest today is an adventurist, motivator and educator who also just happens to be a former GB athlete and an Ironman triathlon champion, winning Iron Lady of the Year 2014. She's trained in psychiatry and is a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists and is the CEO and co-founder of her own wellness organization called Wellgevity. Welcome, Dr. Tamsin Lewis. How are you? Super. Really nice to be with you here. So you're back in London now after doing a stint in Ibiza at Six Senses. How are you finding London and how was Ibiza? London's very different from Ibiza, as you know. Ibiza, I feel like you're kind of floating around in this energetic cloud of ethereal spirituality (laughs) Um, where anything is possible um, which was great for my long COVID which I know we're going to touch on but um, being back in London with the grey and the damp and the the lack of light is is certainly a struggle but sometimes needs must. (laughs) The reality the harsh reality of city living I mean I I do miss London I get um, because I'm up in Lancashire now uh, I relocated uh, during COVID and I find that I'm I have less energy down here. Maybe it's nervous energy or I don't know. I, I do feel more at home in the city, but my husband feels more at home in the countryside. So it's kind of like, you know, I have to dip in and out. And I really I feel energized once I've been to London. It's strange. There is something about London that energizes people. I think it's the the, the sort of the quality of the connections there and the people and the conversations that you have and the places you can go. And I think it's one of the best cities there is on the planet and there's a reason we all thought that people would dissipate from London which they did in the pandemic but now 
slowly, slowly people are chugging back and there's, you know, super exciting businesses and meetups and events happening there. So, yeah. Agreed. I, I I argue with my husband. I say, I want to retire there. And he's like, that's that's backwards. No, you don't retire in a city. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's a cool place to grow old. Anyway, I digress. Now then, you touched on long COVID. And can you just talk us through your journey with COVID? How you got it? I mean, obviously, you, you're a doctor, you, you were called to the front line. So just explain how you got it. And how, what's the experience been like for you to date? I think uh, catching COVID changed everything for me. I think I was uh, quite a hard charging individual, typical type A beforehand. And being in that sort of perimenopausal age, um, I was also at risk from autoimmune disease and having those hormone fluctuations, which then put me at risk for sitting duck for long COVID, as we now know. But when I caught it right at the start of the pandemic, like first week of March, we didn't really even know what it was, the coronavirus and, and what the damage it could cause. I remember my aura ring picking it up and it flagging like this huge fever and like heart rate being massively raised. But I actually got it twice on the same day, we think. You know, I had a group of people that had come back from skiing who I was seeing, doing a blood test with. And then my daughter like had a fever and she kissed me on the lips to say goodbye to go with her dad and coughed into my mouth, which I Ooh. now know gave me a massive viral load uh, dose all in one go. And my gut blew up essentially because it was like disseminated right down and we know that um, it's not the virus itself that causes a lot of the damage it's the collateral damage from your immune system going holy crap we don't know what this is we're going to just throw bombs on it as much as possible and those bombs are an inflammatory bombs essentially and they end up causing a trail of destruction in lungs in different organs heart kidneys joints, etc. So I was one of those one of those casualties and uh, was in and out of hospital for much of March 2020. Now you just touched on your hormonal sort of changes, your obviously perimenopausal as most of um, my listeners here will be too. How does that make us more vulnerable from viral load and particularly COVID? I think, I mean, this is all evolving research, but there was a study that that showed that fluctuating estrogen levels in particular and perimenopausal and early postmenopausal women where estrogen levels are low were more prone to developing severe COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the coronavirus, and long COVID. So we know that estrogen clearly plays a significant role in the immune modulation, like the, how well your immune system challenges or deals with the virus. Would you say that women were more vulnerable then in that case, or men? I mean, I know a load of guys who obviously get man flu anyway, so the drama level is probably higher. But do you think that women are more vulnerable even than the elderly for this sort of infection? Uh, I, think, I think there's a tricky one there because there's two strings to it. I think potentially there, there is more risk from the long COVID, which is more of a fatigue and inflammation-based illness, which can be worsened in the perimenopause. But the risk factors for dying of COVID-19 are like the risk factors for general poor health, like metabolic syndrome, obesity, type 2 diabetes. So we have to separate out, right, what's going to kill you and what's going to cause long-term disability. And I think the perimenopausal menopausal group potentially have, well, they do have more likelihood of getting the long COVID or the tail end, the fatigue-based illness from, from the virus. Okay, so some women might be feeling a little bit under the weather. 
How did they test for long COVID? What are the symptoms? What are the telltale signs that you're noticing in practice? That's a really good question because many people have sort of come out of COVID or or even the vaccine, that's probably a more contentious issue, and said, never quite felt the same since. I've got brain fog, I've got joint aches, I don't sleep as well, I maybe get some palpitations, I'm getting rashes, I'm getting tingling in my fingers, in my toes that I never used to get. So we know that there's an increased risk of allergies in people with that are affected by the virus. We know that some people have sleep disturbance, dysautonomia, which is essentially presents as racing heart and anxiety. So some of these symptoms are, as you probably have noticed, very similar to symptoms of the perimenopause, insomnia, agitation, anxiety, mood swings, joint aches, fatigue. So there is a crossover, which means that having access to HRT or an, and a doctor that understands HRT is super important. Adopting a lot of the lifestyle measures of which you talk about many on your Instagram channel and all your channels on, on social, you know, red light therapy, sauna therapy, exercise where you can, getting natural light, prioritizing sleep, many of your, you know, your supplements, which can enhance brain function, all of that can can play in and help people that fit into these symptom categories. Am I right in thinking that uh, COVID actually accelerated the menopause in some women? I think, yes, you absolutely are right. And that is because COVID was a massive stressor for many. Like it literally was, came in and went, woo, hello. We, and, and, you know, our, never, our immune system had never seen it before. And in some people, that was a major stressor. And in some people, they have post-traumatic stress from having the illness severely. So I think in that case, some people have gone into what we call premature ovarian failure, where the ovaries just stop giving out eggs. And if there's no ovulation, there's no natural hormone swings. So um, yes, you're absolutely right. But it's perhaps because of the, it is a stressor, as I said. Okay, so if I was to go to my uh, regular GP, how would he or she try and treat me? And what do you agree with that's currently being on offer? So there's a lot of criticism about how the NHS is handling long COVID, but now we have so much more research on the systemic nature of it in that it's caused mass disability of many people with the fatigue and all the other symptoms I've mentioned. So we do have long COVID clinics that are popping up all around the country that are NHS funded. So the first step would be to visit your GP and to say, that many of your symptoms have occurred since having COVID or the vaccine or similar, including, you know, problems with breathing, problems with sleeping, increased allergies, as I've mentioned, joint aches and pains. And they may approach you what we call empirically. So they may treat your symptoms. So they might say, right, have some antihistamines, have some sleeping tablets, have some HRT, and that's okay. Or you may get referred to a long COVID clinic, which will then look at you more from a screening perspective. So it might screen your heart. So scan your heart, scan your lungs, scan your kidneys for any organ damage, because some people do have organ damage. You know, they they will have residual lung damage, kidney damage, heart damage even. That's not to say that it's not repairable, but it might be worth actually seeing if there's anything happening in the first place. Um, I read somewhere that um, steroids are being used. Is that correct? To try and boost people? Well, steroids do boost people. That's why they were one of the most abused um, drugs in sport, because they are massively anti-inflammatory. 
and give people very you know because of that they give you know a very clear advantage and, and and clear energy for a lot of people but you know there's no biological free lunch as I've said many times and there are huge downsides of taking steroids consistently like what fluid retention kidney problems acne insomnia and then tolerance thinning skin thinning bones you can develop a buffalo hump if you ever look at you know people that older people that have been on steroids long term they develop like a fat hump at the back and you know the storage of fat is different you get really thin legs and thin arms and then this big belly and hump on your back I mean that's not a good look right no it sounds hell I was thinking oh yeah I I could do with some energy no I do not want a hump on my back thank you very much well the body's very clever at regulating it steroids are very effective at short-term treatment of inflammatory conditions you know like bronchitis or arthritis but they cannot if they're used consistently there's massive consequences and I've seen this time and time again interesting I didn't know about the hump on the back I just can't stop thinking about it okay um histamine why on earth are these like allergies showing up everywhere I mean every man and his dog seems to have allergies but so much more so since we've come out the pandemic why is that I think there's twofold, like one, the, the vaccines themselves and some people and also COVID. And I'm lumping them both together because the vaccines often give you a dose of the virus itself or, or you know, it's mimicking the effect in the body. And histamine is an inflammatory mediator in that it's released as part of the immune system response and it causes dilation. So it increases blood flow to areas. It causes rashes. It causes watery eyes, watery nose. And what's that doing is it's basically trying to get the allergen, so the thing that you're reacting to out of the body, but it's very uncomfortable to walk around with like swollen face and runny nose, runny eyes. So I think it's it's, it's part and parcel of an immune system overreacting. And then I think it's part and parcel of our environment just becoming more loaded with environmental pollutants, which our bodies then don't really know how to deal with. And so they try and clear them by increasing histamine and increasing secretions. Interesting. So, I mean, for me, the worst symptom would be the brain fog, the the brain just not working. I think I can deal with achy joints, that sort of thing. But it's not having my mental health that really, really, it cripples me. I hate not feeling sharp. It's like an addiction to me. How on earth did you manage through long COVID? I mean, have you still got it? Are you still getting bouts of brain fog and lack of energy? How are you treating your brain? I think that's that's a really good point because so many people are struggling with brain fog and, and the inability to speak and and actually find words. Now, it comes and goes. I think I had a history of something you're probably going to touch on at some point in your podcast of mold toxicity, and that gave me horrendous brain fog, um, and it took a while to figure out what was causing that. How did you figure it out, by the way, just so our listeners can um, sort of like go and investigate? I... <laughs> I could smell something in the house. I mean, I was living in a house in Barnes that was, you know, it, it was meant to be good. And then all of a sudden I'm like, there's there's a funny smell. And I and I basically bought a kit called a home air check kit. And um, it showed levels of um, mold byproducts. And then I did a urine test with Great Plains that looks at mycotoxins. And I was like high off the charts. Yeah. So I think if, if someone... I think you've talked about this before, like your detox pathways, your genetics that you've looked at with Omnos or similar have, um, you know, if you're not detoxing well, you're not going to clear mold toxins. And I'm one of those people as well. So I was was very, very toxic. So you can do that. You you can then follow protocols to get 
out of the home that's got mold in it or get someone to really clear it, not yourself, and then go on mold protocols, which is essentially getting you to sweat more, take more binders like charcoal and zeolite to help clear your gut out. Super advice. I mean, that is, um, it's kind of like a, it's like a, a secret enemy, isn't it? Because sometimes you're lucky you could smell it. Sometimes you can't actually smell it and it's just odorless and it's just knocking about your house and you're breathing it in day in, day out. And we're in the house so often nowadays. It's very rare you go outside when the weather's rubbish. And so you even the kids, they're breathing it in. Does it affect children worse than adults? I think it depends on, on the child and how reactive their immune system is and also depends with adults, right, how how sensitive you are and how much other, you know, physical stuff you're dealing with. So if you're stressed or got autoimmunity, then mold's going to really hit you like it did me. And being a medical professional, getting the medical professionals to listen to you and to know what to do with mold is is impossible. You know, you have to work with um, a natural health physician or or ND or, you know, treat yourself. It's, It's pretty tricky. That seems crazy, doesn't it, in this day and age? I mean, and you're a doctor, so imagine how I get on. They think I'm crackers anyway, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. So how are you now? I, w- I want to know how you are now and how you think you, what protocols did you use that aren't necessarily in the mainstream that you found really helpful to just shift this COVID? Uh, how am I now? I mean, the move to Ibiza was a strategic one because I was in a really bad way. And I was thinking like, I can't go back to the life in London where I was running about in pollution and and with a lot of stress and damp when I had like full-blown pneumonitis, which is inflammation of the lungs. So moving to Ibiza really helped, as, as most people will know, being in a warmer country, being in the sea, being in the sunlight, all the things you talk about really helped me. And my major problems were lung and joints. And I got to the point, you know, where I was probably functioning at 80% of my pre-COVID baseline, you know, in terms of running. I always use running as a metric because it triggers inflammation. So I, you know, I can now run, I don't know, 10K. I don't do it very often, but I might do it, you know, once every few weeks. Um, But I'm much more aware of like inflammation and inflammatory exercise of which running can be because it it does trigger my joints. So I'm much more likely to be found doing swimming, which is good for my aerobic system and maybe some some light weight work and leave running when I really need the brain boost. But um, as with any autoimmune illness of which we think long COVID is one, it follows what we call a relapsing and remitting path, which basically means you go on this roller coaster of, oh, I'm better, I feel better. And then three days later, you've drunk half a bottle of wine or, you know, you've done something that stressed the body and you feel like terrible. So I still get a bit of that. I can't tolerate as much as I used to. I have residual allergies, but I do much of the things that you talk about this whole biohacking sphere of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, occasional IVs, occasional ozone when they can find a vein, infrared sauna, you know, getting in, in daylight and, and uh, nature when I can too. And I take a fair amount of supplements, including one that we might touch on called low-dose naltrexone. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. And I think people give up. They're like, oh, I should be better by now. And I try to explain to people that this like as much of what you talk about, you know, we don't just wake up and become healthy, right? We have to do a regime and we, there's certain things that we have to put into our bodies that help us maintain health, specifically as we age, you know, our bodies aren't quite as resilient as they were in their 20s. 
Absolutely not. I do not bounce back. I don't even bounce back from an argument, you know. (laughs) I'm just like, oh God, I'm traumatized for the rest of the week. Oh, I'm really pathetic these days. Okay. LDN, low dose naltroxin. You just mentioned it there. So I thought we may as well chat about it. What is it? And why is it making such waves in the wellness community? So I knew about low dose naltroxone from my functional medicine training as something that was used for autoimmunity. And autoimmunity, most classically, people think of like Hashimoto's thyroid problems or rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's or celiac. So we know naltrexone, which is the drug, is used in addiction at the full dose because it blocks the opiate response to booze, basically, and other other substances. So you basically are like nailing back the booze and you get no effect. So the idea is your brain goes, oh, I'm not getting an effect, I'll give up very simplistic way of looking at it because there's more to alcoholism as you know than than that but um yeah I, I'd actually keep trying I keep yeah. telling, just, just one more and we'll see I better get I get I better get happy and then before you know it I'm paralytic so yeah that's how my brain thinks a normal person would just go it's not working not me no well there you go you know the the, the addict pathways are really strongly wired we keep banging your head until it finally breaks um but Thankfully, you're not there anymore. No, 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 but you never forget. So naltroxone is used in addiction. Uh, well, they try, they try to. Yeah, but we're talking about 50 to 100 milligrams starting dose for addiction. But low dose naltroxone, I'm not quite sure how they figured this out. And we're talking about one to five milligrams. So that's a tiny dose. And what it tends to do at that dose is... One, it can improve endorphin function. It's almost like it blocks the opioid receptors and then your body overcomes it and produces more endorphins, which have what we call neuromodulatory effects. That means your immune system kind of calms the F down and stops going around targeting stuff and creating loads of histamines and inflammation and cytokines. And with that, with reducing inflammation, you feel and function better. So that's how it works. And it doesn't work for everyone. It, it works on some a couple of the receptors in the immune system, the T cells in particular. But I'd say about 50% of people, if not more, with long COVID are having a significant improvement in brain fog, joint aches, energy, mood. Because I'm currently taking low-dose naltroxone for my ADHD, which, as you know, I'm a bit scatty. And I've tried regular ADHD drugs like the amphetamine base, and it made me feel very disconnected and almost muted my thought process, which I like my creativity, my ability to chat, it just disappeared. And so, which I think is probably beneficial in a classroom scenario, if you're learning to do an exam or you're, you've got a hyperactive kid. But for me as a 45 year old woman who likes to be creative, I felt really insecure. And as I said, disconnected. So I've tried the low dose naltroxin. I've had no side effects. I don't know if it's actually helped my scattiness because I'm always spinning plates, but I think it might have calmed my inner rage down a bit. You know, like my my overwhelm that I sometimes get when I've got too much, like something awful, like paperwork. I'd rather do a marathon than do paperwork. I I, I just cannot cope with it. But I, I seem to be able to engage with it a little bit more calmly, not that I enjoy it, a little bit more calmly than I would have done 12 months ago. So I don't know if that's just calming inflammation in my brain that might be triggered from my ridiculous brain function. There might be something in that for sure. And what dose do you want? Well, I have it in drops, so it's 10 drops. So I'm imagining it's low-dose naltroxin, so I imagine it's about 10 milligrams before bed. So very low. 
Well, it's still a significant dose. Mostly we only go up to 4.5 in people that where it's indicated for autoimmunity and ADHD. Oh, well, that's me, isn't it? So, of course, yeah, I'm going to double go. it. <laughs> yeah. there you go and you can get it in Spain I think you know you can like buy these things in Spain but you know not to say you should because I think these things are better regulated by by Dr. Yeah there's a there's a there's a pharmacy in Glasgow that sells it actually that's that's where I get it from there's only one pharmacy up there and you, you need a doctor's prescription or you need a something like that yeah which I find bizarre that you've got to write to Glasgow and you send your prescription up there and then they post it to you but it's like why isn't everybody taking this is it if it's anti-inflammatory you know well there's there's worse things to be taken I think for some people it can make you feel a bit weird like it can make people feel a bit agitated or sleepy or you know so some people there, there is some schools of thought that you should take it earlier in the day so it has more of an inflammatory anti-inflammatory pain sort of benefit in the day whereas when you're sleeping you're not really using your body so you don't really notice the effects as much but I know I take it in the afternoon when I do take it now interesting I might, I might shift my window then and see or how even I get split on. dose it you could, if you're taking that you could split dose it and see if it has an effect of you in the day I will do when I remember okay looking to the future okay we, we've just touched on LDN which is obviously already out there as a psychiatrist and someone who's worked in the mental health sphere and the wellness sphere, you must see oh, an abundance of people struggling with trauma. Like you, you even mentioned PTSD after COVID. How do you cope with all that? You know, I mean, you must see people in desperate situations. How do you sort of unburden yourself with people's traumas? That's a really good question because I'm sensitive and therefore I, I feel it in people. So you have to boundary yourself to some extent and you know I'm a bit more cautious about who I give my whatsapp to now because there's a lot of long covid trauma going around and because it's shaken it up in people and suddenly they aren't able to do the things in their life that they were using to cope exercise drinking you know caffeine they can't their body can't tolerate it and so they're sort of as you know decompensated so there is a lot of trauma so I you know some of the things that I advise people to do and I think this is where the healthcare space is, is going, and I think it is really necessary, is doing more of these somatic therapies, these hands-on like trauma therapy, which is, you know, trained practitioners who can not only speak to you, they might do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, which is where you access the memories and then you sort of, you de-emotionalize it. Um, but also, you know, providing a safe environment for people that's uh, affordable to go through, you know, for them to release the trauma and express it and be heard and seen and held through that. I think that is lacking in what I see. And I think the the people that are getting better from long COVID with these traumas are the people that are have good therapists like cranial osteopaths or acupuncturists or people that are able to work on the nervous system because the nervous system is so intricately linked to the immune system that if your body does not feel safe and it's going around jumping and reacting to everything, then that's going to set off so many different problems in the body. So bringing people back to, and I know we've had this conversation before on about something else, is bringing people back to physiological sense of safety. And that's the work, and people like Gabor Mate talk about that too. So I really encourage people to to listen and to sort of read more about that because I think it's an endemic problem. I think there's a lot of very unsafe people out there who don't really know how to move forward in their life. So PTSD is at one end of the spectrum. 
and there are medications and there are therapies and there are expertise to help that. And we can come on to some future types of those. But I think in the meantime, I think it's worth, you know, looking to see whether you do fit the criteria for that and, and working with someone that can really help you. Because once your nervous system is calm, your immune system is calm, and then you can get off any type of medication, for example, that you might be taking to prevent the overactive immune system. So what's your thinking on something as simple and as free as breath work? How does that help us? I mean, you've just said that the nervous system is so closely linked with the immune system. I didn't really know that. So you can access your immune system via the nervous system via breath work, I suppose. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole evolving field called psychoneuroimmunology now, which is, you know, as you say, brain, nervous system, immune, um, which is really cool. But the, the research coming out is fascinating. But the breath work, breath work has been game changing, but you have to really think about what type of breath work you're doing. There's legions of people going around doing Wim Hof, which is a very stimulating form of breath work, which might be great if you need to get up and go, but it might be too stimulating for some people. So I do like holotropic breath work, which takes you to this very meditative state, but it, you are hyperventilating and that can be a trigger for people for anxiety and all sorts of things. So I say to people like the whole point of transformational breath work is to transform you, but it is potentially uncomfortable in that process because you're breathing fast or you're breathing in a rate that you wouldn't normally, and all sorts of stuff comes up, right? You're moving things up and through the body. We stay in our heads so much of the time. Um, so I think it's super important, but I, I'm looking at, looking for a really good platform that can give us different types of breath work for different types of indications. And we we, we might be doing a bit of work with calm to bring that to life a bit because I think that that is very much needed I get that question asked all the all the time what kind of breath work can I do and yeah so I mean what do you what do you do well I mean I I like to be stimulated you know that that's that's what I do I like to feel I, I feel comfortable when I'm active so I do enjoy the Wim Hof uh, feeling I mean I don't do it enough actually I do not do it enough and and I do actually feel a rush of of serotonin when I've done like about three or four rounds and I do feel a safety afterwards but I can understand if somebody has does have trauma or has been attacked or has hyperventilated in a traumatic situation that could be an emotional memory that comes to the forefront of the brain and they could end up reliving it and I guess a different type of breath work might be beneficial for them so it's kind of knowing knowing your history and knowing what your body might bring up the body never forgets, does it, really? The body does keep score, and I'm assuming that's with experiences. I mean, in your opinion, the different parts of your body store memories, not just your brain. Can you access those memories? Yeah, and I mean, the, the nervous system is so, if you look, you Google the nervous system, right, you can see the different nerves and spine. You know, where the, the nervous system is in everywhere in, in us, and it's, it's not just stored in the brain. So I think the process of breath work is moving energy from stuck places. And I used to think that was all BS, but now I've seen it, right? I'm living in Ibiza for a year and a half. I've seen every type of breath work there is. So I think it's important to feel that you're supported in that because there are uncomfortable memories. I think it's fascinating that just by breathing, we change the blood flow to the brain in a way that takes us off this default mode network, which is thinking, doing, acting the way we know, 
shutting down that frontal cortex and allowing our emotions and our feelings and our memories to come up and through. And, you know, that is uncomfortable, but it's also liberating for us, ultimately. So I think that watch that space, because I think the breathwork space is going to blow up and the number of practitioners involved in providing safe, supported breathwork journeys is also going to explode. It's interesting. The other day I went for, um, I did a 10K run. It was a beautiful day. So I went out in, the, I did some fell running. I went up to the top of the hill. Great. Put the effort in, got to the top. Really nice. Um, looked at the view and then ran down. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I started thinking about my son. And like the most awful thought came into my brain. Like I thought he'd been stabbed or something. And I literally started crying as I was running. And I'm wondering now, I wonder if it had anything to do with the hill run I did. And I'd hit something in, in my body, release something. And then on the way back down, as I relaxed into my, my descent down the hill, I, I release something because I never cry when I'm running. I'm listening to house music, having a great time, a little party for one. But I was like overwhelmed and started crying as I was running. What's that about? Well, I think you probably nailed it on the head. I think, you know, there might have been something that triggered something there somewhere. But, um, you know, emotional release doesn't have to be, uh, you know, all happy all the time. It could be like, you know, getting rid of that or re-triggering that slightly painful emotional memory. And I don't think we should be suppressing or feel shameful for having those kind of thoughts or you know you had a cry and now the rest of your day you're going to be low I I think we need to change that rhetoric from having to be on and happy all the time to it's okay you know you know these things happen they're in us they're our experience and you know we don't have our past the past informs who we are but we we need to to move forward and shed as much of that negative emotion and stuff if if we can I mean, I don't cry very often. I think it's one of my weak points that I don't cry. I, and I don't know why. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to cry more. Because I remember once uh, I was talking to you and you told me that our tears actually contain the stress hormone cortisol. Yeah, I think that was quite interesting for me too. I was more, you know, it's a nature's mechanism of going, right, cry, bring your cortisol levels down, bring your blood pressure down. And I and I think that's it's an evolutionary mechanism to get us more into into equilibrium again. But again, it is it's not encouraged, right? We thought of as weird if we cry. Um, but having been in Ibiza for, as I said, <laughs> you know, the, the the weekly cat Kundalini breathwork sessions, everyone's crying. You know, it's like yeah. it's a form of a expression that's acceptable. Okay, so. We've touched on LDN, which I'm currently taking right now. What is on the horizon for psychiatric care? I, I was watching the news the other day, and I think it, it mentioned that people are now treating or it's coming to market using ketamine as a form to stop addiction. How does that work? And, you know, is that not just cross-addicting? The psychedelic space, of which ketamine isn't, is thought of to be one but it's not strictly one it's actually a dissociative anesthetic ketamine is exploding in mental health as as we might know and that's you know everything ranging from magic mushrooms the active ingredient of which is psilocybin to lsd to mdma and to the one that you mentioned ketamine 
Ketamine is licensed in the UK. You can go to a ketamine clinic through the NHS for retractable depression. So if you've had a trial of, I need to remember, but I think it's three trials at a significant dose of an antidepressant and you're still depressed, you can get referred to a ketamine clinic where you get hooked up on a drip in a slightly staid environment. I've seen it. It's like, I think I could think of better places to do psychoactive substances than looking at a blank wall. But the point is that these these substances, unlike a classic antidepressants, which suppress basically emotional states and sort of put us in this cotton wool blanket of emotional numbness. Anhedonia. So uh, anhedonia is actually low mood. It's the inabilities to anhedonia, the absence of pleasure. It's the inability to feel pleasure, which is a hallmark of depression. Antidepressants actually take anhedonia away. They just put you into this state of cushioning, comfortably numb, right? Whereas you're not actually experiencing life. Many people lose their sex drive. Many people lose their passion for things. They're just okay, right? They're functioning. They're not really dealing with anything. Psychedelics, however, take your brain and kind of like shake it up a bit. And then when everything calms down, you see that you have new connections and you're able to see the world and your situation and your problems slightly differently, which is why they can be very potent. They are very strong at triggering neuro flexibility. So the rewiring of networks in the brain, which is super exciting because we didn't used to think that was possible. Now, the caveat to all of this is that they clearly taken in the wrong context when they're not safe. It can you know, it can flood you with the memories and experiences that are very uncomfortable, which can be very anxiety provoking. So I think used in the right context, I think they can be extremely helpful. Like people are using ketamine for for addiction, not so much, but for depression. Yes, I think addiction, you know, the, the, the success is looking more at things like Ibogaine, which is not anywhere near being legal anytime soon. But it is legal in Portugal, for example, which is, uh, you know, takes you down a really deep, dark hole, but again, helps to rewire these very strong addiction pathways, which you alluded to earlier. You know, these are very hardwired neural pathways in the brain that really need a sledgehammer to hack through them and reconnect somewhere that even is makes you look at the world differently. So I do think it's cross-addicting in that the, the, the experience isn't particularly pleasurable. Ah, so it's not like a, because the way that the news was interpreting it was like, it was like you're taking a party drug to replace, say, alcohol or something. And it's, it's not like that, is it? It's to rewire the brain and then you stop. It's not like you take it on a daily basis. No, you, you flood the brain and it is essentially meant to be rewiring in the context of allowing you to access emotions and memories that you previously that you didn't or you didn't know or you weren't cognizant of and in that you can have you know a session with a therapist and then you start to break through your own narrative about yourself and you and you improve that's that's what's showing and I think I'm most intrigued by psilocybin because its safety profile is exciting which is the magic mushrooms in depression in OCD in eating disorders um, and MDMA, although the uh, the safety profile of MDMA is not as good as psilocybin, you know, there are potentially like issues with heart um, complications, etc. But, um, you know, the only problem we have is funding, right? These are expensive 
um, situations, you have to have a, you know, you have to have a therapist, you have to have a long period of, you know, six hours when you're going through it. But the model that's trying to be proved by companies is that, you know, long term, you're not going to be on antidepressants for 40 years, you're going to be on something, you know, for three weeks, and then, you know, hopefully move on out of this chronic illnesses that people have mental health problems. So I'm super excited about that space. Um, microdosing, again, interesting you know I've dabbled myself and it's really helped but um, difficult to <laughs> provide controlled trials on microdosing of things like magic mushrooms but um, anecdotally there's a lot of positive reports. Are there any downsides to it? I know whenever I've tried microdosing it's really turned out bad for me. I get paranoid, uh, freaked out, disassociated, that sort of thing. I get really really nervous and I go into a dark space. Now could you explain what that could be? Is that something to do with my GABA or you know why am I just not <laughs> not the druggy I'd like to be? <laughs> I know it's a tricky one because it depends on what you're taking right? You know the cannabis and the the THC has a very strong effect on dopamine systems and can make people feel anxious and paranoid. And, and, and it's not for me at all. I don't like, no, I don't like it in cannabis at all. Um, although some people swear by it for autoimmunity and pain, not for me. But psilocybin is serotonergic. And if the, the, the problem is, and um, we can't advocate these substances here because they're not legal in the UK, although there are trials running at Imperial College that you can self-refer into, but, you know, I think it's because we don't have a liquid of of uh, psilocybin. So that what you get is not controlled, right? We don't know what you're getting. You know, you could be getting a mix of different things. So quality control is not there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign it off. And I think therapeutic psilocybin might be something that you, you could consider as part of a clinical trial. There, as I said, there's many running in, in the UK at um, Imperial College, for example, where they you take a big dose and you're held for five, six hours with music and the brain is scanned before and after and you will have supportive therapy. I've seen some people have life-changing, um, come out of that as well with the life-changing. But I think for you, you know, it's it's tricky because, and, and excuse me if I'm wrong here, but you're, you're well because of all your behaviours which stack up to to make you the person that you are now that you didn't used to be, right? Yeah. I'm mean, basically I don't need it, do I? So I should just get out the queue. So Well, I mean you're in a pretty good place because of, you know you've created your life that way, but do you want to delve in and feel all those things that have stored in your nervous system? I don't know. Maybe one day you do want to like explore and go on that journey and um and but maybe maybe not for now. No, I think I'm okay. I'm scared of paperwork, never mind psilocybin. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll stay out of that space and stick to my running. Yeah, the, the running's definitely good for neuroflexibility as well. Okay, just to finish off, can you give me an idea of, say, what you eat or do in a day to look and feel so good, considering you've come through long COVID and you've had an international bloody lifestyle and you've got a kid and everything like that, you know, you spin plates as well. How do you stay, first of all, lean, healthy, having been on top of your game? What do you take? What do you do? And how do you sleep? I do a lot of what you do, to be honest, I think, you know, and there's a reason for that because, you know, the, the, if you're experienced in this whole biohacking space, you know what works. So I love a, love a good sauna. I prioritize some form of exercise in the morning every day, natural light. Um, I, I like swimming, but I can swim. You know, a lot of people don't like swimming because they can't swim. I think it's very good for lungs and strength and all those things. 
I take collagen, your collagen. I take MCT and coffee sometimes. I take um, adrenal support. I take a form of DHEA, which is anti-aging. I take low-dose naltrexone. My sleep isn't the best, but that's probably for the reasons that many of us don't sleep well. You know, we're juggling too many things and we're up too late on our computers and our brains won't switch off. Um, so that would probably mean my downside and drinking alcohol, which I, you know, I still drink socially, red wine usually. And I, yeah, is it red wine you normally have? I mean, what would you, just because I don't drink, I know that everybody else does. So what is the safest, cleanest form of alcohol? We were having this discussion last night because I, I gave a talk on, um, on, on longevity and biohacking in a, in a London club last night. And then people were like, well, how do we drink safely? I'm like, mm, I can't advocate that. But I do carry around a stack of charcoal with me, which I know you've talked about before and nail a few with every drink. I like quality wine. You know, if you, I know you've spoken to Tim Spector and he is a is an advocate for a bit of red wine with the, not just the polyphenols and reservatrol but the digestive the relaxation qualities I love a good red wine and but I will choose a quality more biodynamic less additives one I will then if I'm really party party drink tequila which has a slight monoamine oxidase inhibitor effect which means it boosts serotonin and dopamine as opposed to many alcohol which are present and um, so tequila is a good choice drinking lots of electrolytes to limit the dehydration effect. Yeah. So those would be my thing, charcoal and electrolytes and quality. Okay. And just finally, you mentioned that sometimes your sleep's a bit off. So imagine it's one o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep. What's your go-to to soften that brain thought and to just relax yourself? What would you do in a case of emergency? Say you're away from home, you're traveling somewhere really uncomfortable that you, that, that, you, know, you don't generally feel safe. How would you hack into that? Uh, two ways I use it. The some people like the Sensate device. I lost it. Um, the the stone <laughs> that vibrates on your chest. It, 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 I don't know. It didn't get on with it too well. But the, I use the Apollo Neuro band that like vibrates into your nervous system, and that I find very safe and, and calming. I would take L-theanine and glycine. Um, both of those together will help calm me down. Sometimes I'll have a spray of melatonin, although it can make you a bit groggy in the middle of the night. Yeah, so those would be my go-tos, L-theanine, glycine, magnesium 3 and 8. Fabulous, wonderful stack. I mean, I think I do that virtually every night, to be perfectly honest, because Matthew has got this thing about having the TV on full blast, and it's a massive TV. I've even got my blue blockers on, and in the end, I just put my earplugs in, neck a few L-theanine, and just say, just shut up. I just can't cope with this, you know? I need my sleep. I don't understand how people can watch big TVs late night and then just turn off and go to sleep. But, you know, they don't have our brains. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Well, listen, Tam, this has been an amazing conversation as ever. If you could give everybody one tip, a top tip, if they're just starting on a health trip now, what would it be? Get outside more, get natural light, don't put your sunglasses on in the morning. So those are, those are the big ones to me, just getting outside more and get more natural light and get off social media. Give yes. yourself a break, a dopamine fast. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, Tam, um, where can people connect with you? What's your website and what's your social media handles? I'm Dr. Tam now, D-R-T-A-M on uh, Instagram and Wellgevity. So not longevity, but Wellgevity is our website, wellgevity.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your wisdom and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Lovely to chat, Dominia. 
Hey, so since recording this podcast, I've come across this new machine. It's called the Reoxy. And what it's being used for is the treatment of long COVID and overall inflammation. If you want some more information on that, please go to www.reoxy.co.uk or you can call my friend Nargis on 07515127400. Basically, this machine increases your lung capacity and reduces overall inflammation in your major organs like your brain and even your heart. All you have to do is lie down for 40 minutes and breathe. It's absolutely fascinating stuff and I'm using it to prepare for my marathon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hack Your Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and please share it far and wide so everyone else can get healthier. The more people we can educate and empower will lead us to a healthier life. Okay, so we make this show for you and I'd love to get your feedback. So please do review us or DM me on Instagram at Davinia Taylor. This has been an Underground Fan Club production.